Well, again, um, we are so glad that you're here tonight. Thank you for uh, being here, and uh, if you're new to RUF, welcome. I'll say it again. We really are glad you're here. Hope that you'll find this to be a place where that you can plug in, where you can learn, where you can find uh, friends, fellowship. We're going to talk a lot about that, uh, especially over the next couple of uh, weeks together. Normally, if you come to RUF, what our normal practice is, is that I, I'll probably will pick a book out of the Bible and just sort of march right through it week to week. And we're not going to do that uh, this semester. Instead, we're going to look at a series uh, called uh, It's Complicated. And uh, what that is, it's going to be a series uh, on relationships. Now, um, why would we do this? Why would we do something different uh, this year? You're all gap, kick, uh, you know, cackling. That's probably because of this photo. But here's why I think it's important that we do it. It's important because it's good for you to see and hear and understand what the Bible says about a particular topic on the whole. And that's what we want to do this semester is really take time, spending a little bit of time looking at relationships themselves. But also, I want you to see that Christianity really is, this is where it might get a little bit philosophical, but Christianity really is a worldview. It answers all of the major questions that, that, the, that are thrown at us just what it means to be human. Where do we come from? What's wrong with the world? How do things get fixed? Where are we going? Is there any hope for the world? All of those sort of set questions really are answered in Christianity. And so they certainly would talk and have touch points about this topic of relationships. And then lastly, and this might be most important, there may not be a better way to get at the heart of the gospel itself than through the window of relationships. You see, you really can't understand Christianity apart from understanding something about relationships. And you also can't understand really that much about relationships apart from Christianity or the gospel itself. So my hope for us this, year, this semester is to really spend some time looking at it. We're going to take a wide look at all sorts of different topics that you uh, are probably having questions about, and we're going to try to answer those and address those on Wednesday night. So please make a room in your schedule to come join us. Let me begin by getting into this uh, sermon this way. When I was 19, about 19 years ago, uh, I was a freshman on the uh, college campus of the University of Tennessee. My mom had just dropped me off. She... Has, it was driving away with tears in her eyes. And I remember standing at the back of the dorm that I was staying in. And I remember actually saying this out loud. Are you ready? I said, well, I enter this place a single man. And I'm leaving it with my one day wife. Needless to say, I was way off. I was 17 when I said that. And I wasn't married for another 12 years later. So, I want you to see that I, I actually thought that that's the way it was supposed to go. You go to college, you meet a girl, you meet a guy, you get a job, you get married. After all, isn't that the way that it works in the movies? How come real life wasn't as simple? Now listen, some of y'all have arrived just this week with those same, same thoughts, right? You're, you've already seen somebody. You've already got your eye on them. And you're ready to get married. And others of you... <laughs> And others of you are scared to death. You can't handle the thought of actually being in a relationship with somebody. 
You couldn't fathom the idea of being vulnerable in that way. And so it scares you. But all of this, I think, just highlights, it stands to highlight this, that relationships really are something that are close to our hearts. They are a big deal. And here is why. I want you to see this. That none of us, none of us like the prospects of being alone. None of us do. And so, because of that, we know that deep down, we were meant to connect with other people. For example, see if any of this fits for you. Some of you are not sure, just three days into classes, and I'm being serious, that TCU is for you. Because you don't know if you'll make friends. You miss home. <coughs> Recruitment didn't go the way that you thought it would. And you already can't stand your roommate. What about this? Others of us have real questions in life about whether we'll end up alone. You know, you're going to end up maybe wearing like a turtleneck sweater and have 12 cats when you're 67. Right? Not that there's anything wrong with cats, but there is. And, and others of us, right, we've been so burned by relationships in the past that it really is easier to just stay away. For us, we would prefer loneliness as an easier pain than being hurt again. Some of y'all know what I'm talking about. Listen, all semester long, we're going to get into the nitty-gritty of relationships. We're going to look about dating, friendships, sex, marriage, among other things. But before we do tonight, we've got to take a look at the big picture. We're going to sort of set the bounds tonight. And one of the ways, one of the edges that we're going to set in this first big picture is this. We're going to take a look tonight at what the Bible's first message about relationships is. Because we need a starting point. Look, and here it is. Are you ready for it? Here's what I want to drive home tonight. That you and me were actually created for relationships. That that is actually how we were made. Now, Let's spell this out a little bit tonight. And I want to take a look at the book of Genesis there as we take a look at three little stopping points along the way. First, we're going to take a look at the source, the source of relationships. Secondly, we're going to take a look at the nature of relationships. And thirdly, we're going to take a look at the limits of relationships. Now, what do I mean, therefore, when I talk about the source of relationships? Well, if you look with me there in your Bible or on your handout in Genesis 1.26, we'll see it. You see, everything has a beginning. Um, just like a river has a source, so do relationships. And where are they traced back to? Well, in verse 1, chapter 1, verse 26, we see where the relationships themselves come from. God has just made the world. And now He has gone into filling it with animals and with the birds of the air. And He comes here on the sixth day. And look what He says in verse 26. He says, for example, and let them have dominion over... He says, let us make man in our image. Now that's really, really interesting because we see here from the beginning. Did you see what it says? It says, let us make man in our image. And right off the bat, you begin to see that God Himself does not exist in solitude. In other words, that God exists in community. He is community. And because the God of the Bible is community, I want you to know this, that what lies at the heart of very reality itself is relationships. 
that what lies at the very center of the world itself is relationships. Now, you notice as well that mankind is said to be made in the image of God. Now, what is that? Well, if you would have lived in the ancient Near East, you would have known that. You would have heard of an emperor, and emperors would have had statues sort of all out the empire to make you know who was in charge. They were representations of the emperor so that you were kept in line, that if you messed up, there was going to be, you know, what to pay, and to sort of keep you oriented rightly. But, but, an image bearer for a deity was altogether different. An image bearer for a deity was seen as this, that you were their worker bees to sort of do their bidding on the earth. So it's very, very important to know because when you come to Christianity, you see something radically different. You see, to bear an image in the biblical sense is an incredibly honorable thing. It is to represent royalty. God, as the great King of kings, has set His image on man. And by man, I mean both male and female a mankind to represent His own glory, personhood, all that He is to be represented in His people. Think about it like this. For those of you who don't know, we have uh, two little girls. Their names are Audrey and Evangeline. They're twins. And one of the things that we like to do is to, I like to hold them in my arms, to walk in front of a mirror that's in our house, and to ask them, who is that? Now, there was one time I did this. I was holding little Evangeline. And uh, I held her in front of the mirror and I said, Who is that? And most of the time, she will look at it and say, Audrey. <laughs> now, on the one hand, I think, My child's incredibly smart because I'm sure something existential is like really going on here right now. She's an identical twin. And I'm, you know, maybe she's dialing in with something else. But things are actually confused because her sister Audrey actually calls Evangeline Audrey. So there's where the problem lies. There is no Evangeline in our house. It's only Audrey. Now correct her. I say, no, that's not Audrey. Who is that? And she says, Jeline. And I say, yes, that's right. That's exactly who that is. And my point is, is this. That the reflection is an image that looks like the real thing. So too, this is part of what it means to be an image bearer of God. Part of what it means, y'all, to be human is to reflect and bear out God's relationalness, His relationality here in the world. And why would that be so incredibly important? Here is why. Y'all, you were made for community. You were. At the very core of who you are, you are a relational person. And when you do this, you bear forth the image that God has given to you. You bear forth the way that you were actually made. And I want to say that this actually confronts some of us. And here's why. Because, you see, there's some teaching out there that goes something like this. The most important thing for me as a Christian is me and Jesus. That's all that matters. I don't know how many of you have heard that or maybe have believed in it, but it's actually just not true. Because what this text is telling us is that what lies at the very beginning of your personhood is that you were made for other people. You see, you hear the language, you're better off with no one. Don't rely on anybody. Or you hear it from the religious side, it goes something like this. Um, you hear this, that what I really need to do right now is just focus on my relationship with God. I don't need to be around other people. And look... There is no such thing as a solitary Christian. 
It's called the dead and dying Christian. The one who can't survive Christian. You need other people. You were made to live in community because this is the image that you bear forth. I just want to ask you very simply, where do you see already, three days into school, things wanting to cut you off from the community that you so desperately need? Is it your job? It's a good thing. And here's another one. Is it your studies? It's another good thing. That's why you're in school. But don't hide behind them. Some of you know who you are. It's easier for you to have your nose in a book than to be around other people. And that's not just for introverts, by the way. You actually prefer being around... You prefer the books because you don't have to be around people. But here's one that might sting really to the core. Listen. You can use your faith to easily hide and to not be around people. It's easy to hide behind the label of a Christian and be an incredibly isolated person. And so therefore, I want to say this to you. Place yourself in good community. Be that good community for you and other people. That's what your calling is. To flourish, to cause human beings, to cause this campus to be beautiful. It's to be in a God-oriented community with other people. John Donne, the English writer and poet, said it best when he said that no man is an island. And it's so true. Well, look, we've already nailed this enough, so I do want to move on and kind of show you this very close sort of counterpoint or cousin point to that, this idea of the source of relationship, and that is taking a look at the nature of relationships. Now, take a look with me in verses 131. I'm going to go there in just a second. But I want you to think, when we think about the nature of something, I'm thinking about its isness. What is it? What's it all about? You know, an orange is made of pulp and rind. And so, what do we think about when we think about the nature of relationship? What is it? Well, look in verse 218. I want you to understand that God says something staggering there. He says, The Lord God said, It is not good that man should be alone. I will make him a helper fit for him. Listen, God makes a woman for the man. And then and only then does God stand back, look at His creation, and do you know what He says? He says, it's not good that man is alone. But as soon as the woman is made for the man, look at verse 131. He says this. He says, God saw everything that He had made, and behold, it was very good. Ladies, this is where you get to shine. You get to say that God saved the very last, the best for the very last. The cherry on top of is all of His creation is, is femaleness. That's a wonderful picture of what you are. But why is this so significant? Because all was perfect in the world, y'all. Sin had not entered into it. And God stands forth and He says this, it's not good. It's not good that there's only one human being. That's not good. And so what he does is he fixes it by giving man his complement in a female. And when God does this, things are as they were meant to be. That is why God says it is very good. God puts man in relationship with this woman for a reason, though. And it is this. So that both will know that they have a God who is even more intimately in love with them than they are with themselves. They serve as grace reminders for the other. Here's what I want to drive home 
Relationships are not something that are bad. Relationships are not something that are morally neutral. The Scriptures tell us that the nature of relationships are that they are intrinsically good, true, and beautiful. Because God made them. Yes, they can go wrong. Some of y'all have experienced hurt and disappointment at the hands of people that I don't even know the first thing about. That I can't even begin to relate with you. And I have broken this in my own story from people. We're going to look at that next week. But that's not how the story began. You need to see that. It's not how it began. Why is this so important for us? Let me drive this in. Tim Keller, a great uh, you know, teacher, preacher up in New York City, he writes this. Turn your eyes to the screen if you have a moment. He says that Adam wasn't lonely because he was imperfect. Read that. But because he was perfect. The ache for friends is not the result of sin. The ache for friends is not the result of sin. God made man with an ache to be with people. And that is an absolutely beautiful thing. And that's why I can say this without pulling any punches. He is saying that loneliness is bad and painful and that you were meant for relationships because they were good. And I want you to see that there is... I'm going to be careful here. There might even be some of you in this room that think this. That singleness equals godliness. That singleness equals godliness. And I want to say that that's not true. That is not true fundamentally. We think something like this. What really pleases God is for me to just focus on Him and not be interested in dating or finding a spouse. You see, some of you are actually paralyzed by the idea that if I were really serious about God, if I were a really good Christian, I shouldn't want a girl or guy in my life. And so we beat ourselves up because of these good longings that we were made with. And I want you to see this is bad teaching. Unless you think I'm just pulling this out of air and not making a case for it, I'm going to right here. How do we know this? I want you to know that later in the Bible, in Paul's first letter to Timothy, he tells Timothy that there will be people, take, turn your eyes again to the screen, he says that there will be people who will depart from the faith by devoting themselves to deceitful spirits and teachings of demons. Now, what is really interesting is that you expect him to say something like this. And here's what they're going to do, y'all. They're going to beat Christians up. They're going to quit having a quiet time. Ooh, they're going to vote a certain way. That's how you'll know. But listen to what he says. None of that will happen. Instead, he says this, that people will forbid marriage. For everything created by God is good and to be received with thanksgiving. And this is why the teaching that you're really serious about God, that if you were, you shouldn't want to get married, is so anti-biblical. The Scriptures say that marriage is a good gift from God. That he who finds a wife finds a good thing and the Lord's favor rests upon him. And that must be said on a college campus where all of y'all are relationship phobics. You're scared to death. And you realize, like, if you were just living maybe 200 years ago, you probably all would be married and have two or three kids by now. Now, you don't like me saying that. But that's just true. 
Your cultural moment affords you the opportunity to go to school and get an education instead of having to work on the farm or somewhere. But you know, that's just where we are in our cultural moment. That isn't something that's biblical. Listen, I just want to begin to put before you the Bible challenges our understanding of what we think about relationships. They are intrinsically good. And they ought to be sought after. So you're going to hear me say tonight, it's okay. It's okay if you want to be in a relationship. You're not crazy. And you're sure as heck not sinning. Somebody needs to tell you that tonight. That's what we're going to look at as we continue to go on through our series. And yet... I want you to see that even as we take a look at the goodness of relationships, that they themselves aren't the point. In other words, that they have limits. Let me uh, read you guys this illustration. Y'all know what Elite Daily is? I did okay, yeah. blog sign, I guess. No, I don't read it. I just found this quote. So that's where I, I don't even know what it is. I just know I found it on the internet. And you can trust anything on the internet, y'all. Trust me. Uh, listen to what one writer wrote. Tell me if this fits. Dating this these days is a joke. And not a very funny one at that. I don't know if it's because our generation started dating before we hit puberty, or whether it was the Kardashians of the world that have ruined what was once a beautiful thing. But the truth is that dating these days is horrible. Half the dang time, you won't even know if you're actually dating or not. What was once explainable using a single-digit binary code now requires the decimal system. It's no longer are you dating or are you not dating. There are now different stages and one hardly knows where they're at. Is that true for any of y'all? Man, that just seems to fit. And I think why this is so important is that this opinion highlights that we don't know how to think about relationships. Our thinking is so skewed and we need the Scriptures to help correct us. To say that relationships are complicated is the understatement of the century. And the reason that they are so complicated is because, and here's what I want to suggest, is that they have become the reference point for our very identity. Let me say that again. That relationships have become the reference point for who we think we are as people. Like, and, and, and there are two sort of major views here that are going on. See if these fit. Some of y'all are like Dean Martin. Y'all remember Dean Martin, the singer? He used to have a song that went like this. You're nobody till what? Somebody loves you. Some of y'all believe that. You're hopelessly romantic. You think like me on the first day of college. <laughs> You can't stand the idea of being single because you think that it says something about who you are at your core. You think that you're not wanted, that you're not loved, and you know what? That you're not desired. And so long as you view relationships this way, listen, you can't not be alone. Why? Because if you were, you would feel as if you were about to disintegrate because it's attacking your personhood. That's not the only view, the romantic view. There's also a view out there that's probably more my camp. I was married at 29, so yes, my late 20s, I bought hook, line, and sinker from this idea. And that is that you can become incredibly, incredibly cynical about relationships. You say, I'll never be in a relationship. I'll do whatever I can to fend for myself. I'll play the field. I'll have friends with benefits. But I'll never make myself vulnerable to anyone. 
sound like any of you? These folks are bowing down, though, to the God of personal freedom. They really are. They think that true personhood is found in autonomy by being by themselves. But, as we see here tonight in the Bible, don't you see that the opposite is true? That true personhood is found by being in community, in relationship. Listen, y'all. Both views, both views of relationship, the romantic and the cynic, are finding their identity as relationships being the reference point. And it was never meant to be so. And one of the things that you see in the Bible, that the Bible does, is it corrects both of these understandings by telling us this. That we were made for relationships, but we are not made by them. We could say that we're designed for them, but we're not defined by them. And how do we know this? We see this by when God makes man first in relationship with Himself. What gives man a sense of his value and self is not in his relationship with other people, but with his relationship with God. And this means that relationships themselves have limits. They are not meant to be the thing that defines us. Something else must be. Listen, relationships aren't everything. And they're not nothing. They are something. But we were made for them, and yet, and yet, we're not made by them. You've got to be able to hold that intention. And so what about you? Where do you find yourself? Where do you think about relationships? Do you tend to be cynical? Or do you tend to romanticize them? Do you tend to think, oh, I'm nobody until somebody loves me? Or do you think, I'll never be burned again. I'm not going to do it. Christianity comes in because of this text. And it shatters both of those views. How? Because of God making us in relationship with Himself first. And it's first. Listen, why is this so important? One little practical application before I land the plane. I've been married for almost seven years. And I love my wife dearly. I love her more than any other person on the face of the planet. But I want you to know that Laura is not enough for me. She's not. She can't meet all of my needs. She cannot be Jesus for me. And when you think that relationships, that there's this sort of person out there that's going to make you incredibly happy all the time, you're, you're setting yourself up for failure and you'll crush the other person. Because you're going to make the other person be Jesus for you. And I just want to ask you, what if somebody tried to make you Jesus for them? Like, how's that going to work out? Right? It's not. We need something more. And that something more is our original Creator putting us in a relationship with Him. Listen, y'all. You see, at the very heart of the Bible is a wedding story of a relationship between God and man. And throughout the pages of Scripture, God is shown to be a husband pursuing a wayward, slutty bride. Yes, I said it. It is us that is depicted as the bride. And why would we be considered in such an offensive way? Here it is. Because each of us, you and me, are like lovers who have run away from our husband and given our hearts to other lovers. And this is what the Bible calls sin. I want you to see 
that really what's at the heart of sin is not so much breaking God's rules as it is breaking God's heart. And doing so happens when we run to other lovers. And the wonder of it all, y'all, is that God, the God whose heart we have wounded by running to other lovers says this, I will never leave you. In fact, you won't die for your waywardness. I will die for it. Wow. What amazing love. What an amazing commitment to His people. And this is exactly what our husband Jesus does when Paul writes in the book of Romans when he says this, that God demonstrated His love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And this is the sort of love that you can't lose. You might say, well, what happens if I get worse? Worse? Nothing. God already loved you at your worst. He came to you at your worst. And He said, you're mine. I'll never give up on you. I'll never leave you. I'll never forsake you. No matter how many times you try to run away, I will, I will chase you down. Because I love you. That's what you're in for. Nothing less. That's the amazing love that God gives. And once that begins to get into your bones, into your heart of hearts, into your gut, it begins to change you. It begins to free you to be in a relationship with other people without trying to make them your Savior. They're not the, they, they cease to be the thing that defines you because God's love for you is. I don't know about you, but i got a lot to learn about relationships. I'm really nervous about this semester because it's going to expose all sorts of stuff in me that I would rather you not know. I want you to like me. I want you to think that I have it all together. But I don't. So will you come back next week and the week after that if you're able as we continue to look at this amazing topic?